Well, over in the very, very far western part of Alaska, where the Yupik peoples are, we greet with each other by saying, Waka. That is aloha in Yupik. Good job. And I can't believe it's my eighth time back here over the last 20 years to be with you. I came all the way from Orlando, Florida, six time zones away, and I tested COVID negative this morning. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. And uh, I just want to say a couple of things about your church. Debbie and I have always felt so very, very welcome here, partly because you're so friendly, but partly there's always great food when I come here. And uh, we're going to celebrate a little bit of food after a church today with a, with a family from the church, but it's just such good to have aloha and to know that you folks are behind us, even though we're the 49th state and we're about 3,500 miles that way, I think. And uh, Debbie and I are here this week. This is our first stop, actually. We're going to be speaking at a new little Bible school in uh, Kauai, down in Poipu, and I'll be speaking on discipleship and how to be a disciple as well as how to disciple others, and Debbie's along with me for that journey. So pretty cool to get to be here for the whole week, and our first snow hit Anchorage on Thursday. So I'm glad to be here. Praise the Lord. And I would say, I, I know most of you have never been to our campus. You've been supporting us for years, but I thought, wouldn't it be cool to take you on a tour of the college that you guys support? You want to go on a tour of Alaska Christian College? All right, let's do it. Start the video. So Alaska Christian College was founded in 2001 with just one building on 10 acres. Today, we now have 21 buildings on 30 acres, and we are thrilled that God has sent us over 800 young people, mainly Alaskan Eskimo, Yupik, Chupik, and um, Athabascan students from all across Alaska. We offer four accredited degrees. Of course, we offer a degree in Christian ministry. Our second degree is in professional education. The third degree is in behavioral health, and the last is in general studies. That building you see there was our first building that we bought, 8,000 square foot mansion with an indoor swimming pool for only $350,000 on 10 and a half acres. I'm sure the same thing you can do here in Honolulu. Our dining hall is where the students are going into right now. The two dormitories are where our guests come up during the summer. We have 300 volunteers that come up and help us by doing work all across our 30 acres on campus. You can come up too if you want to get away from the heat of the summer to join us up in Alaska. These buildings were donated to us adjacent to our campus. We rent them out for Airbnb in the summertime. My wife, Debbie, is the executive director and founder of New Hope Counseling Center. It offers free counseling services to every single student of ACC and to the neighboring community. Free professional licensed services. Pretty excited as they're adding on their biggest addition in their history as well because they've outgrown their area. What you're looking at now is the future site of our new coming athletic center at ACC. It's being built as we speak by volunteers. It's a $3 million project pre-COVID, a little bit more than that now past COVID. But it's an awesome project because God has told, our, told us through a lot of miracles that you need a gym on your campus for your students because they love to play basketball 25 hours a day. This proposed chapel you see is a gift from a lady who passed away a year and a half ago, and the family said, Keith, can we build this chapel in her name? And I said, sure, what's her name? And they said, Jezebel. <laughs> no, no, no. Her real name is Gloria. So the Gloria Chapel at Alaska Christian College. Isn't that wonderful? And that is one of the projects coming down the pike for us as well. 
So uh, that's your college. That's the college that you folks support, and you're part of the Evangelical Covenant Church that also supports this college. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Debbie and I will be hanging around after church to greet you. And up here on, this, on, the, um, on the table here are some things you can take away with you if you'd like to know more about the school. And you also got a brochure when you came in today that explains the school and how you can participate financially. All the money that's given today will go toward Alaska young people uh, for the scholarship program for the school. We need to raise about $300,000 a year, and you're giving today. We'll go toward that. All right. That's enough of the ACC portion. I want to jump into God's word with you. You guys ready? Okay. And I also feel like I need to pray for just a moment. So Lord, may the words of the, <coughs> my mouth and the meditations of my heart, Lord, come to these people as we open your divine word today. In Jesus' name, amen. I was in Mexico once a number of years ago speaking and preaching. And I was speaking, I speak Spanish fluently. And I was speaking and preaching to a group of young people and some older folks. And I kept on telling them by accident that we have to give our spiritual donuts over to Jesus. Because I was using the wrong word. It's, it's dones in Spanish. I was using donuts. I thought I was saying the word gifts. I was saying the word donuts. And everybody was laughing and everybody was making fun of me. I didn't know why. When I asked them why, they told me why. I was so embarrassed. And so I used the word in Spanish that I thought meant embarrassed, embarrassada, E-M-B-A-R-A-S-A-D-A, embarrassada. I thought it meant embarrassed. And I said, oh, híjole, estoy muy embarrassada. And everybody erupted in laughter across the whole congregation because by accident, I just told them I was what? Pregnant, yeah, pregnant. <laughs> pregnant. Our words mean everything. Our words mean everything. I'm an EMT. I've been an EMT now for 42 years, a volunteer firefighter for 44 years. I started when I was two years old. And uh, I was doing my ER time, my emergency room time in a hospital in Washington State. And a guy comes in with, with, with this complaint that he drank too much beer and, and ate too much pizza. He's just having really hard heartburn, heartburn, tough, tough stuff. And he said, man, I just need to lay down and get some medicine. I said, well, come into the ER. And we sat down and I'm a brand new EMT. I haven't even passed my test yet. And I started, you know, hooking up the blood pressure cuff to him, hooked up the EKG to him. And as I'm working on him, I hear this, the flatline noise. And I look at him and he's like, what's going on? I said, oh, your, your electrode popped off. Let me, let me put that back on for you. Oh, phew. So I put the electrode back on him for the EKG, and I'm chatting with him, and he says these words to me. Boy, I feel better already. And I said, oh, I'm glad you feel better already. And I'm working down on something, and all of a sudden I hear this, dee, and I look up, oh, here we go again. I look up, and he goes, and he crashes right in front of me, massive heart attack, right in front of me. So I yelled, code, code, and the nurses came in, the doctors came in, and I started thumping on his chest. A week later, I came back to see him in the hospital. He had survived. Um, you want to have, if you want to have a heart attack, do it in a hospital, okay? And, and he was doing great. But I, I never forgot his famous last words. Gee, I feel better already. Those are his last words before he died. And then he came back to life. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about famous last words. And I'm going to start you with somebody who is uh, known as, uh, is this up there? Good, outside. Okay, I'm reading over here. 
Famous last words. I want to talk to you today about the famous words of two Carlsons. Two Carlsons, both of them from our, our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. And the first Carlson is this guy. His name is Paul Monganga Carlson, Dr. Paul. Dr. Paul in 1964 left his covenant church in Rolling Hills Estates, California, the LA area, and went with his wife and his two little children to the Congo, the poorest um, country in Africa to the northwest corner of it, which is the poorest part of the Congo. And when he was there, there was a rebellion going on. The Belgians owned the Congo at the time, but the Simba rebellion took over and people were being killed, and it was being looted. They've had many civil wars in Congo over the years, unfortunately. Dr. Paul took his family across the river to the Central African Republic to get to safety. But Dr. Paul, because of his call to mission service, decided that he was going to go back and work on some of his patients because nobody was at the hospital to care for them. While he was there, the rebellion came into the village, and they grabbed him because they were told that he was a missionnaire, which in French is a mercenary. But no, 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 no. He was a missionnaire, which is a what? A missionary. And they took him and arrested him and took him down to Kinshasa today, the, the capital of Congo. He was locked up with other um, missionaries, other expatriates that were there, Americans. And one day the Belgian troops came in, Dr. Or Linda Bain Johnson's our president, had been a part of this conversation to get the Belgian paratroopers in. They landed in the town. There was a big firefight that broke out. They busted out of jail. They got out. And as they're running away and going over the wall, one of the men in front of Dr. Paul was going over the wall, couldn't quite get up. The story's told that Dr. Paul grabbed his feet, and as Dr. Paul was pushing him to go over, he was riddled with gunfire. And Dr. Paul is our first known martyr for the cause of Jesus Christ in the Evangelical Covenant Church in Congo. I don't know what Monganga, Dr. Paul, said when he went over and was pushing this young man, but I bet it was this, go, 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 as he's pushing him as hard as he could. And Jesus's actual famous, his famous last words, we're going to find today, in Matthew 28. But I want to show you this picture of Dr. Paul's grave. I've been here. I took this picture in Karawa, Congo. And he's one of my heroes because he gave it all for mission service for the cause of Christ. His famous last words go. And here's Jesus' famous last words. I want you to say them with me, would you please? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right here, this is the great command. This is Matthew 28. This is the end of, of Jesus' time that he spoke these famous, famous, famous last words to us. And the words that we pull out here are go, which is the command form. You must go. You don't think about going or maybe you should you know, stay home. No, he says you, you need to go to the disciples he was talking to. And while you're going, the, the, the Greek has it, while you are going, you also need to make something. And here it says you need to make disciples. Not Christianettes, not tithers, not Sunday school teachers. You need to make disciples, people who will follow me of all of the nations. There's a crazy guy named Keith Green. Who remembers Keith Green from the 1980s? Yeah, a few of you do. He's a righteous rocker. He said this in a, in a book that I read that he wrote, Jesus commands us to go. 
and it should be the exception if we stay. Say that with me. Jesus commands us to go, and it should be the exception if we stay. So Matthew is clear that if we are to be Christ followers, then we are to go and we are to make. But why? Where are we to go? Why are we to make? Why are we to send out missionaries? What's, what's the whole purpose here? And we find in Revelation the reason, because there's an amazing picture that we see here. Let's say it all together. And after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and the Lamb. This is the picture. This is why we go. This is why we make so that someday we're going to be in this amazing, amazing place before the throne of God. And there's going to be every nation, every tribe, every people, including the Chupik and the Yupik and the Inupiaq Eskimo young person that we reach at Alaska Christian College. Because I want you to know a secret, everybody. Are you ready for this? The club is not yet full. Are you with me? Heaven still has openings, amen? There is coming a day when this mighty scene will fulfill the purpose of Jesus coming to die for all of us. There'll be this massive humanity that nobody can count from the multitude standing before the throne. And everybody who's there who has said yes to Christ, who's been spiritually born again, those that were extended the amazing grace of God and accepted it and wrapped it up, they're gonna be standing there today. I love John 3.16, I'm sure as you do, but John 3.17 doesn't get as much um, uh, help. But today I'm going to have you say it with me. It's really important that we say this together. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is why he came, to save the world through him. We know this, but do we participate in it? Do we go? Do we make Jesus commanded us to go and to make, to be fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say these words. Don't be a caboose. Ready, go. Don't be a caboose. Now, what in the world is this crazy guy from Alaska talking about? Don't be a caboose. When Jesus came, he found 12 people, 12 men, that he wanted to say, follow me go and make. 11 of them did a pretty good job. One of them not so good. And they went with Jesus for three years. And from Jesus to the 12, then to the apostle Paul, and to the 500, and the 3,000, and the 5,000, and all down through all of the two centuries that we've lived since Christ, there's been this thing called the apostolic train. The apostolic train. And it's come down until 1978, when a young man at a little covenant camp in Leavenworth, Washington, named Keith, decided to follow Jesus and gave my life to the Lord. And I became a part of that apostolic train, the passing on through all of the generations of people who have passed it on, who have passed it on, who have passed it on. And then it got to me. And I had a choice to make, and I still do today. Do I just want to keep it and go, oh, this is great. I love what I heard about Jesus and I'm going to learn all I can. I'm going to keep it with me and I'm going to enjoy it for the rest of my life. No, if I do that, I become a what? A caboose. Yeah, I'm the end of the train. From Jesus to me, I'm the last guy on the train. I'm the caboose. We can't let that happen. The train's got to keep going. We got to keep telling people the good news of Jesus Christ right here in Hawaii and beyond. Jesus' famous last words in Matthew are like that. 
Don't be a caboose. Are you engaged in fulfilling the great commission to have the mission heart of Jesus? The things that break Jesus' heart also break your heart enough that you're open to receive maybe even a mission call to do something radical for the cause of Christ. Because it's not just in Matthew that we see famous last words, but also in Acts chapter one, where it's very, very clear that we are not to be cabooses. Is that cabooses in plural? I'm not sure, okay? More famous last words of Jesus. Let's say it together. Oh, one more over. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses, ambassadors in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Again, here we are, very, very end. Jesus is about ready to be beamed up to heaven, right? And he's standing there with the multitude of people that are standing around there. And these are his last, last, absolute last words here on earth before he ascends to be with the Father. My friends, he's coming again. And you know what? He could have said a lot of things with his famous last, last, last words. He could have, listen to this. He could have given you the numbers for the Powerball lottery. He could have. He could have told you, hey, here's who you're supposed to marry and be a part of relationship for the rest of your life. Wouldn't that have been something easier than dating? He might have said, hey, here's the right stock to buy for retirement. Wouldn't that be cool? Or he even could have said, Here's the cure for cancer. Here's the cure for cancer. But no, he said these words. The critical man command he gave us is to be his witnesses. Ambassador. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who lives in one country, but is sent to a foreign country to represent their home country. And Jesus said, you need to go and leave Jerusalem You need to go to Judea, the area around Jerusalem, the neighborhood around where you are. And then from there, you need to go off to Samaria. Now, nobody wants to go to Samaria. Everybody avoided Samaria. Everybody went around Samaria to avoid having to find a Samaritan anywhere along the way, except for one person. Who was that? Yeah, Jesus ran into Samaria. He found a woman at the well, didn't he? He spent time with Samaritans. But Jesus says, you got to go where those people are. Those are the people you don't want to see. They're the oppressed in your communities. They're the homeless. They're the ones in prison. The ones that are sick and in the hospital. Those are the people that that people want to avoid and go around, the poor. But Jesus says, no, we got to go to Samaria. Then you also have to go to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. You know, at the time of of Acts, when Paul uh, was going through his time, and Luke wrote the story of Acts, wait, chapter 28, we don't know for sure, for sure, for sure, but history tells us that for that period of time, the ends of the earth was Northwest Spain. And in Northwest Spain today, there's a town called Finisterre, which in Spanish translates end of earth. Debbie and I were just there last fall in our sabbatical. Paul said, you need to go, Jesus said, you need to go to the ends of the earth. That's where it was. That's not the case today. In fact, the past president of our denomination, Gary Walter, told me once, he said, Keith, did you ever own a globe? You know, when you're in school, one of those round globes that you had for, for school? I said, yeah, I had one in my bedroom. He said, if you take your finger, now I can't verify this. If you take your finger and you poke it in Jerusalem and you go all the way across the globe to the other side, the ends of the earth, the farthest you can go from Jerusalem, where is it? And I said, I don't know. Anybody want to guess? Nome, Alaska. I'm there, baby. Well, 500 miles south, but I'm close. 
I can't verify it, but that's what I was told by our, by our, by our past president. You know, I had, a, I had a friend, a missionary friend I lived with in Mexico City when I was a covenant missionary there. She's with the Lord now today. Her name is Nancy Reed, and she said this once to me, Keith. He said, Keith, if you're looking for Jesus, then go to the ends of the earth because that is exactly where he is. And Willie Jennings said this, God is everywhere waiting for us to arrive. God is everywhere waiting for us to arrive. Are you willing to consider going to the ends of the earth to make disciples, to make Jesus followers? Well, a little bit of our story, and you've heard it before, but Debbie and I believed that God was calling us to Ecuador to plant a covenant Bible college in Quito. Did you guys know the sun goes up and down the same time every day in Quito, Ecuador? Kind of like Hawaii. Not in Alaska. Did you know that it's 78 degrees almost every day in Quito, Ecuador? Not like Alaska. And we thought we were going south because one of my statements for my life is the lower the latitude, the better my attitude. Okay? And yet God, with his sense of humor and with his call, his sure call, sent us north instead near the Arctic Circle to Alaska. And we didn't want to go. There was no students who wanted to go to the college. There was no staff who wanted to work with me, but I'm used to that. <laughs> there were no facilities. You just saw 21 facilities now, no facilities, and no money to plant the school. And in 2001, five days after 9-11, we opened with 22 students, mainly Alaska indigenous young people, really from the ends of the earth. Many of them living still in third world conditions, no running water in their villages. It's a humbling experience that Debbie and I have to serve them. They're amazing, amazing students. I wish I could bring one with me sometime. You could meet them. Are you willing to pack up everything and leave if God sure calls you to go to the ends of the earth? Because that was Jesus' famous last words twice. End of Matthew, first part of Acts. But you know what their excuses? I'll be honest with you. Their excuses why we can't go, and some of them are very, very legitimate. None of us should go without the sure insistence that God's pressing upon our heart to go because if we don't have that sure insistence, it could be a very difficult place. I know and you know that the very, very worst spiritual place for us to be in our spiritual life is just this far out of the will of God, just a millimeter outside of the will of God. We know that when God calls, we have to respond. If it doesn't call, don't go. And some of us have issues related to health and to family, and I understand that. God understands that, but if the sure insistence is upon us, we must go. Or you could be swallowed by a big halibut like happened to Jonah, right? We do have many, though, who will go. And if you can't go, I want to share with you about this country. Anybody recognize it? India. And there was a missionary in the 1800s who went to India. His name was William Carey. William Carey was from England, and when he left by himself to go to India, and nobody else was with him, he was in an amazing place, difficult, difficult, he wrote a letter back to his home church in England, and he said these words, I will go down into the pit, but the rest of you must hold the rope. You get that picture? I'm willing to go and be a missionary. I'm willing to go to the ends of the earth. But if I'm going to go, friends, I need you to hold my rope. 
I need you to pray for me diligently. I need you to send me more workers. The, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. I need more workers to go. Please, please send me more workers from our church in England. And then I need your support. I need you to help us financially to do what God has called us to do here in India. If you're not able to go, then you need to hold the rope for others who are going. And we come to the last Carlson. His name is Axel E. Carlson, Swedish, another Swedish man like Dr. Paul, born in 1853, left Sweden and came to the Americas. God called him by the church, called him to go to Russia to uh, be able to share. And he learned, he learned Russian language and, and, and the Swedish Mission Covenant Church wanted him to, to stay there for a lifetime. And he got kicked out. He actually got put in jail because he was proselytizing, bringing the good news to the Russians. So in 1887, he ended up in the village of Unalakleet, Alaska, the very far western shore, about 550 air miles from where I live. You can't drive there. You have to fly there. When he showed up on the, on the, on the beach in a boat in Unalakleet, he met the chief who invited him to come and stay in his village. And Axel had a, he had a black book with him. And in that black book were the words of life. And he told the chief, he said, is there anybody in your village who speaks Swedish? <laughs> Didn't find anybody who spoke Swedish or Russian. And there was a young man who spoke Russian. His name was Stefan Ivanov. And Stefan began to translate God's word from the missionary's Swedish black book into his native, native language of Inupiaq. And as far as we know, the very first person to say yes to Jesus in that village was that interpreter, Stefan Ivanov. Stefan's great-great-grandson today is Curtis Ivanov, Reverend Curtis Ivanov, who's our conference superintendent of the Covenant Churches of Alaska. But if I go to the village of Unalakleet, which I've done often, I always go to the graveside of Axel Lee Carlson, that first missionary to Alaska. And I go because I want to read again what's written on his tomb. And you know, it's a little bit of embarrassing, friends, because in this village, as you can see, here's this enormous, enormous monument to Axel. It's the biggest one in the village. He's the only one that has a fence all the way around it. And all the other villagers are down on the ground um, and tundra running over top of their little gravesite, um, um, gravestones. And it's a little bit embarrassing to think, oh, why did they put this huge monstrosity for the missionary? And then you realize, no, it wasn't the covenant offices in Chicago that did this, or it wasn't the missionaries. This. It was the people of Unalakleet that erected this monument in the honor of the first covenant missionary. And here are the words. Listen carefully. His famous last words written about him. Axel e. Carlson born Sweden, 1853 to, eight, to 1910. When Axel came to our village of Unalakleet, there were no Christians. But when he left us, there were no unbelievers. Let that sink in. When he came to Unalakleet, there were no believers. When he left, the village was full of people who followed Jesus. The last words written for Axel Carlson. 
Perhaps there are some here today who are willing to commit your resources to send others to give to ACC today, maybe in some incredible way, or to pray specifically for Debbie and me, for other missionaries that you know that you're supporting around the world, to come alongside us and hold the rope for us in many, many creative ways. How beautiful in the mountain are the feet of those who bring the good news, amen? And is Jesus sending you to bring the good news today to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or to the ends of the earth? We know today that there are 7.7 billion people worldwide. There are three plus billion that live in unreached people groups still, that they don't have a portion of scripture in their group, written in their language, or nobody has come to them with the good news of Jesus Christ. In Alaska, we have about 250 villages, towns, and cities with a zip code. Half of them, 125 or so, have some kind of gospel witness. Doesn't mean there's a church there. It just means there's somebody there that a missionary, somebody's bringing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, there's 125 villages that have the good news. That's great. For the 125 that don't, not so great. And as of today, we've had about 105 young people come from the villages to ACC and go back to their villages. We're growing the kingdom of God slowly in God's way and God's time. Two Carlsons. How about you? It's a challenge today for us to think about our part in mission work. Because I'll close with this. We are one generation away from Christianity being extinction. An extinction. Did you realize that? If all of us are caboose, cabooses, if all of us have taken it in and we don't tell others about Christ, if the church doesn't tell us about Christ, we are one generation away from nobody knowing about Christ and the world being without the Lord. <clears throat> On the other side of that, the great news, we are one generation away from the whole world hearing about Jesus Christ if we all continue the apostolic train. That's good news. Let's pray together. <clears throat> yeah, Lord, thank you that when I was 16 years old, that somebody told me about Jesus, that little Bible camp. And then I said, yes, Lord, and I became somebody new that I'd never been before. And Lord, since that time, you've given me so many opportunities to share the good news and to do mission work. I thank you for the ways that I have grown and learned and failed and collapsed and burnt out and got all the things that come along with, with serving you in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But today, Lord, I stand firm with my friends at Wellspring that God, we want to do all we can to hold the rope or to send missionaries out to do, Lord, what it takes to win the world for Jesus Christ. Help us today, Lord, to remember your famous last words, to live by them and to practice them in our lives, that none of us would become cabooses. In the name of Jesus, the great missionary, I pray. Amen and amen.